Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of Brown Girls Read podcast. This is your host Aman Tiwana and this is Kathy Thakur and both of us love reading books. On this podcast we bring our favorite books to you and discuss the parts that were most meaningful to us and how we found them interesting or relatable as brown girls. Today we have invited the author of the book The Financial Diet, Chelsea Fagan for a conversation with us. Financial diet is truly a beginner's guide to understanding personal finances. If you feel a bit helpless when it comes to money, budgeting, saving, investing and securing your financial future, then the financial diet is for you. If you haven't listened to our discussion on the book, please listen to the previous episode where we discussed the financial diet. And before we bring Chelsea on, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Hey Chelsea, welcome to our podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I have been a long-time follower of the financial diet, but for our listeners who are new to this, would you like to tell us a little bit about what financial diet is and why you decided to start it? Sure. So the financial diet is a media company uh, centered on personal finance, specifically for young women. It kind of does a little bit of everything media-wise, you know, video, website, books, events, etc. And I started it in summer of 2014 because I was working at another media company. I was pretty dissatisfied at my job, and I was also someone who had struggled with money for a long time. Came from a pretty financially unstable background and had a complicated relationship to money as an adult. And so I started it as just a personal Tumblr blog to mm-hmm. track my progress with money and hold myself accountable. And it really just grew out from there. That's amazing. I did not knew it started as a Tumblr before I read that in the book. and i was honestly so amazed by that yeah tumblr in 2014 was a was a wild place how did you start researching for your personal finances i mean that's part of the reason that i started tfd because i felt the same way i felt that you know basically everything there was out there to read and learn about money was pretty boring and it just like it didn't speak to me in the way publications about other topics did so i was like why couldn't you know a publication talk about money the way we talk about dating or food or any of these other kind of essential life activities in a way that is engaging and human and funny and relatable and all that stuff yeah i can see that i've been following your instagram for a long while and i think it's one of my favorites cuz I am a big curator when it comes to what comes in my feed and TFD has always stayed on because it just normalizes the whole financial fears for me and it makes me feel that it's okay to feel that way and you can still grow so it has always been there. Thank you. You have a great team working with you even in the book you have mentioned the people you have worked with and like they say it takes a village to do something and we just want to understand how do you cultivate these relationships with other women? what do you think is that key or the reason behind a successful partnership yeah so i mean there's two different things there right there are my partners i have two women partners that i run tfd with and then we have the rest of the team which are employees and for employees i think the key is just to treat people well compensate them fairly and respect them because ultimately i think a lot of times small businesses creative fields passion projects startups I think they often don't treat their employees very well because they think that the employee should feel lucky to work there or should feel like this job is their family and it's not your family it's a job right for partners yeah. it's different for partners I wouldn't say exactly like a family but in some ways it's closer to a marriage where you have this extremely valuable sort of living breathing thing which is a small business that you have to navigate together and you have to learn how to relate to each other in a way that's 
productive and respectful while making a lot of hard decisions. You know, I've run TFD with my co-founder for over six years now, and we are very, very close as business partners. We're also friends. Our husbands are friends. You know, our, our other third partner, she came on a little bit later in the game, but she's been with TFD for years as well. And, you know, I think the key to these relationships is ultimately going to come down to putting your ego aside as much as possible. The times where the partnership has been most difficult to navigate or most unpleasant has been a time at which ego was a prominent part of the conversation when you just want to be right. You want to win. You want to double down on your ideas and you have a lot of pride about it. And I think there's a lot of conversation about women needing to speak up for themselves more and to emulate men in a lot of ways in how they operate in a business. And our company is only women. And I think that really lends itself to we are not trying to emulate men. We're trying to really embrace what is the best in women. And I think what is often the best in us is our capacity to be empathetic, to be patient, to listen, to admit when you are not sure or admit when you are wrong and to be able to put that ego aside. So my version of feminism and my version of women in in professional spheres and in curating relationships has always been, you know, less about imitating uh, male tendencies and more about embracing female ones. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, I think more employers and more people need to understand that. That's a great message. Thank you. Sure. Coming back to the book a little bit, I know that you mentioned early on in the book that women usually don't focus on personal finances. And I find it to be super true. Also, like in our culture, where we come from in India, concentrating on personal finances is not something that's taught in schools, first of all. And it is not something that that is taught to women specifically when they grow up. Why do you think that is? Well, to be fair, it's not really taught in America either. So (laughs) I think it's cross-cultural, the lack of focus on financial education. I think there is just not really as much of a focus on life skills in general in public education. There's very little education in public schools, for example, about nutrition and health. There's very little uh, education about psychology and success, you know, emotional management and interpersonal communication and all of these subjects, which are really crucial to just navigating adult life. It's a lot about sort of abstract educational concepts, learning about history, learning about science, learning about, you know, literature. And these are important things, but they're also, in most cases, there's not a ton of real world application for them. So I think in terms of seeing where education is often falling short, I think it's it's falling short on almost all elements of adult life skills, not just financial. And I think financial is only right. one of them. And then in terms of why women are less educated Specifically, it's because most societies up until very, very recently, women were largely not earning money in any way comparable to the way men were. They were shut out of a lot of the workforce. They were encouraged to primarily be mothers. And there's nothing wrong with being a full-time mother, but it's also not necessarily the choice that every woman would take. It was sort of what was imposed on her. So 
kind of by necessity, the long-term financial planning and decision-making was going to follow to the person who was making the money. Uh, now, what's interesting about that is that we have enough data now in the United States where women are earning comparably to men, more and more households where women are the primary earner, women are now more educated than men on the whole. And we see that even in homes where women are out earning their husbands, they are similarly to as women have for centuries, they manage the day-to-day financial decisions, you know, shopping, food, even maybe some basic bills and utilities, but any long-term financial planning, retirement, estate planning, investing, those tend to still be managed by the man in the house. And I think that is really because we assume that there's something inherent about men that makes them more adapted to that. And I think that there's just no, there's no evidence. Right. I also think that, you know, a lot of the times since you said that the sole breadowners for the families were men, even today, like parents make it a point to, you know, talk about stocks and personal finances later on in life with men only, like with their sons and not with their daughters. And I have seen that differentiation somewhere also, like in my family as well. And I'm like, no, I want to learn about this. I want to get rich too. (laughs) Yeah, that in a way conditions you to believe that, right? That men know this better or men are better at this or smarter and we tend to ignore that they are just being equipped subtly or you know overtly doesn't matter but they are being equipped in some ways yeah right definitely one more thing that I love about TFT is your Instagram posts and videos where you tell people like here's 10 extra ways to make money while you are sitting at home or things like that and those were my first gateway into this thought process of having multiple streams of income before that I never thought about that I think it's a great thing to you know share with our listeners as well why do you think having multiple streams of income is important and how can someone who is just starting with the financial diet get into it So I think the two best ways to get interested in financial management and and education are to pay very close attention to what's happening to your money already. Because as I like to say, everyone has a budget. You just may not know what yours is. You just might not be paying attention to it, but you do have a budget. You have an amount of money that you spend on different categories. You have an amount of money that comes in every month. The question is just whether or not you're actively managing it. So to start by just understanding your money. So all you have to commit to is just spending the next month or a couple months just seeing everywhere your money is going and seeing how it's coming in, you know, seeing what you're able to save, seeing what you're spending on, um, analyzing all of your purchases, analyzing your subscriptions, the decisions that you're making. Just commit to looking at it, to analyzing it, to understanding it. Because even if you don't commit upfront to changing anything, just the act of being very aware of your money automatically gives you a desire to be more conscientious about it and to save more of it right. and to make better decisions. Mm-hmm. And then similarly to, to, to what you mentioned is finding one way to get control over the money that you're taking in. So even if you just pick up one side stream of income per month, it could be tutoring remotely, or it could be doing freelance editing or copywriting work, or it could be babysitting or dog walking or any number of activities, but just committing to one extra stream of income per month, as small as it might be, and then dedicating that money specifically to a goal or an investment or something that you otherwise would have a difficult time doing on your own. Because that act of getting an increased level of control over both your income 
and what that money is doing gives you a sense of confidence about the rest of your money. And obviously, most of us should have a goal eventually of adding passive streams of income, you know, whether that is in real estate or investments or whatever it might be. The goal through as you move move through life is to be more and more aware of the money that you spend and demanding a higher value out of every dollar you spend and having more and more control over your money and how you make it and how it comes to you and making that process be easier and easier and easier. If you focus on those two things, conscientiousness over how you spend and control over how you earn, it will lead you in the right direction. Yeah, that makes sense, actually. And also, nowadays, there's this concept of fire, financial independence and retiring early. And I keep thinking, you know, I'm already 30 years old and my goal is to retire at 40. Can I do that if I have not done any sort of, you know, like I have a little bit of savings, but I have not concentrated on my personal finances a lot. So how can you do that? And can you still do that? So there are only two ways to do it, right? It's to earn more and spend less. Obviously, one of the downsides to, because if you wanted to retire at 40, you would have a much easier time doing that if you were starting at 20, because you would have 20 years for your investments to grow. And the biggest Mm -hmm. asset that any of us have in terms of money is time. It's just time to let compound interest work its magic time to ride out market waves, time to earn more. So a 10-year time window is a little narrow because it does not leave you a ton of time to do things like let investments accrue. However, the 30s and 40s are typically, you know, those are going to be your high earning years and you also have a lot of energy still to, to work. So I think it's possible but you need to do the math, right? You need to do the math specifically of, for example, how much money do I need to have saved in an investment fund that I can just live on the interest? You know, that's probably going to be a different number for everyone. It depends on lifestyle, but that means you're going to have a lot of money that you want to make sure you put away and invest. You're also going to want to give yourself a very, very big emergency fund if you're going to stop working because you're a lot more vulnerable to fluctuations in your lifestyle. So the usual three-month emergency fund might not cut it. You also want to make sure that you're in a good place in terms of you know, your real estate. What Are you going to have somewhere to live? Are you going to be able to retain it even if you don't have a job? Because keep in mind, It's a lot easier to get things like a mortgage when you have a steady paying job, you know? So there are a ton of factors that go into retiring early and a 10 year window is a fairly short one, although it's not the shortest that I've seen, but the good news about money and any kind of financial decision is it's all math, right? And math at the end of the day is like pretty easy. You just have to work out the numbers, see what you need and see what you would have to do in order to get there. And anything is possible. It's just a question of whether or not it's probable or whether or not it's something you are willing to do. Because in order to retire in 10 years, you might have to make a lot of sacrifices in the short term that you're not comfortable with, or you might have to work over time in a way you're not comfortable with. So at the end of the day, anything's possible, but everything is a trade-off and it all comes down to the math. And then can TFT help me do that? Retire of, course. <laughs> of course, of course. But what you will want to start, what, what TFD cannot do is tell you the numbers. You know, we can provide tools to help you understand what those numbers will be, but only you know what amount of money you will need to comfortably retire on. Only right. you know what you earn. Only you know what you have saved. So ultimately, the first thing you need to do is figure out those numbers. 
And then from those numbers, you come up with a strategy. Okay, I can earn this much more each month that goes directly into an investment account. I can cut back this, this, this in terms of spending. You know, I can make a move in my career in X years in order to increase my earning potential. Like we can help you make the decisions that will reach those numbers, but only you will know what those numbers are. Yeah, thanks, Chelsea. I think that's great advice for not just Kathy, but just anyone who's listening to us right now. Before we end our discussion today, we can't let you go without talking about books. So I want to know, are there any financial investment or financial growth books other than the financial diet that you would recommend? Yes. So we work a lot with another finance educator and a friend of mine named Erin Lowry. She goes by Broke Millennial. She has a series of books that are very, very, very helpful. I would also recommend a book called Your Money or Your Life, which is a very interesting book that helps kind of put into perspective, you know, we have a tendency to think of money in terms of just a number, but it is really every dollar represents something for us. It represents value. It represents time. It represents priorities. So I think it really helps you kind of reframe how you think about money. And then I would suggest the good thing about the internet is that there's just an endless amount of information. So I think once you decide what you're pathway looks like with money. Let's say you're on the fire pathway, find a few fire bloggers who have similar ages to you, similar goals, similar incomes, and start to follow them. Join, you know, accountability groups and private Facebook groups that you can help share tips and get motivation and stay on track. Because ultimately, 99% of the financial journey, so to speak, once you've figured out the numbers is just going to be finding the motivation to make the right decisions. So really finding the tools that help you stay accountable to your good decisions is going to be essential. Right. Other than financial books, what are your reading preferences and what are you reading right now? I've just been reading anything that is easy to read and makes me happy. I've read probably 90% rom-coms and romance novels this year because it's just (laughs) like enjoyable. I'm trying to think of some really good ones that I read this year. Oh, my favorite rom-com or I guess romance novel that I read this year is called The Idea of You. I can't remember the author's name, but it's fantastic. It's about like single mother who gets into a love story with a boy band member. It's like very entertaining. I also read The Kiss Quotient, which was really cute and really, really good. What is it? Red, White, and Royal Blue, which I know is like a big hit. It's a rom-com as well. So I've just been reading a lot of rom-coms and romance (laughs) novels to get me through a pretty sad year. And it's been great. Wow, that sounds like a great reading list, you know. I'll I'll pick up some rom-coms. Good. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like a vacation for your brain. Yeah, like yeah. holiday movies at this time. Like, I know they're crappy, but I yes. watch so many of them. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I just watched The Holiday for the first time the other day and it was great. Oh, really? It's one of my favorites for holidays movies. Yeah, I know. Everyone loves it, but I've never <laughs> seen it before, but I loved it. All right, Chelsea. So I think we are at the end of our conversation for now. But before you go, is there anything that you would like to say to our listeners? The number one thing I would say is that there is never such a thing as too late to start taking control of your money. And there is no minimum that you need to have in order to have a better relationship with money. The best day to start caring about your money was yesterday. And the second best day is today. That's amazing. Wow. Thank you. That for gives sharing. me hope. yes thank you for sharing everything that you did i think it's super helpful for us and for anyone who would listen to this podcast thank you so much
So this was our discussion with Chelsea Fagan, the founder of The Financial Diet and the author of the book. And we are so thankful to her for her time, her amazing insights, and also her financial and rom-com book recommendations for us. Go find The Financial Diet on Instagram. It has amazing tips that we can all use in our lives. And for our next episode, we are reading Well-Behaved Indian Women by Soumya Dave. We hope you'll be reading with us. And until then, keep listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Brown Girls Read Podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star rating and a comment. You can support us at anchor.fm slash browngirlsread slash support. Your support will allow us to continue this podcast and bring more episodes to you. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Instagram, browngirlsreadpod and browngirlsread1 on Twitter. If you have book recommendations for us, you can leave us a comment or message on our social media. And you can also subscribe to us on YouTube for more content.